series through the Gospel of Matthew. This is message number 25 in that series. And this message is entitled, Urgency for Israel. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 35, and we're going to cover down to chapter 10 and verse number 15. So to get started, I'm going to read verses 35 to 38 here at the end of chapter 9. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Well, verses 18 to 34 that we looked at last time here in, in chapter number 9 recounted a group of miracles that precedes this next large section of teaching in Matthew's gospel. Um, the miracles in that part of chapter 9 were uh, messianic signs, and they all shared the theme of restoration. We had restoration of life and restoration of sight and restoration of speech in those miracles. Now, these messianic signs were, uh, in fact, previews of the prophesied kingdom blessings of the messianic kingdom in places like Isaiah chapter 35, uh, verses 5 to 6. But they also revealed the power and the deity and the identity of Jesus as the promised son of David. And remember also that Jesus' fame and popularity was still growing at this point as there were uh, many, many multitudes of, of people that were crowding around him at this time, following him around um, from place to place at this time. And of course, that prepares us for the next part of Matthew's gospel, as we do note sort of, sort of a turn um, here, not the hard turn toward Jerusalem that's coming up later, um, but this is the turn um, toward um, his rejection as Messiah by the nation of Israel. So verse 35 here in chapter 9 gives us one of those ministry summaries of Jesus, and we, we saw that before back in chapter number 4 and verse 23. Um, and that ministry summary back in chapter 4 preceded a long section of teaching uh, in chapters 5 to 7 that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And so it does so similarly here in, verse, in chapters 10 and 11. We have another long section of teaching um, that's been preceded by these miracles and that summary statement. Now, there is some difference here. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7 was one long, continuous um, teaching of Jesus on the mountain there in Galilee. And chapters 10 and 11 here are, are not quite like that. Chapter 10 um, is to the 12 apostles and chapter 11 is mainly to the multitude with some interaction included there with the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, the primary theme of this large section of teaching that runs through um, chapter number 11 is the offer of the kingdom to Israel, which is extended here through Jesus' 12 apostles. Now, the pressing of this offer is characterized in this section by urgency, because the kingdom was near for a short time. 
There was a window of time when Jesus was here on the earth. And we are, uh, if you look at it chronologically, we're somewhere about a year and a half or so before his death, before his crucifixion. And so there's a short window of time that Jesus, the Messiah, had come to Israel. And so there is urgency in this offer of the kingdom because it is going to expire, you might say, when they reject the Messiah and be delayed. So this sets us up for the second half of the Gospel of Matthew and the rejection of the Messiah and his kingdom by the nation of Israel. Now what we're looking at this morning, beginning in verse 35 of chapter 9 and going down through verse 15 of chapter 10, is the beginning part of Jesus preparing his 12 apostles to be sent on mission to Israel. Now, as we have seen previously, and as we have come to expect in Matthew, this section is rich with connections with the Old Testament. So Matthew began his gospel putting the story of Jesus in the line of the story of Israel and God's redemptive purpose coming forward from the Old Testament. And so here we're going to see the apostles also being placed in the context of Jesus' ministry to Israel. And the images that are used in this passage um, are significant in the Old Testament for their use to depict the prophesied gathering of Israel. And in some cases, these were used in the Old Testament even before Israel was actually even scattered into exile. So as we look at this passage, we're going to take it in three parts, in verses 35 to 38, we see Jesus' compassion for the multitudes of Israel. In verses 1 to 4, we're going to see the 12 men called by Jesus. And in verses 5 to 15, we're going to see Jesus' command to go from city to city in Israel. So let's, let's begin here with the first part in Jesus' compassion for the multitude. I'll read verse 35 again. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, this verse is obviously very similar to the summary we've already seen back in chapter 4 and verse number 23. And again, we have the same sort of of terms that are used here as was used there. The word for teaching... Um, is a word that means to give orderly instruction. It is something that it can include commands or imperatives to be obeyed. It is a word that describes Jesus' ministry as a teacher and an explainer of the Old Testament scriptures as well as a new covenant lawgiver. And we've, we've well seen examples of that as we have come forward and come through the Sermon on the Mount and to this point in Matthew's Gospel. Now, the word for preaching that he uses is different. It is a word that, that um, means to herald or to proclaim. And it's giving a public announcement of news, which is the case that Jesus was giving the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom is that the kingdom was near because the king had come. And the kingdom would come if they would receive it by receiving their king, the anointed son of David. Now, along with his words, he gave messianic signs in the form of healings of all kinds of sicknesses 
and diseases. And again, this is just sort of a summary. Matthew's not referring to specific instances of teaching or specific instances of of healing, but is referring to them generally. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, at this point, multitudes, large crowds of people, were following Jesus around. They wanted to hear what Jesus said, they wanted to see what Jesus did, and they wanted to experience the miracles of healing for those that had sickness and disease. Now, the word for compassion that is used here, it does mean to have sympathy or pity, as as we might think, and it's almost used exclusively in reference to Jesus um, in the Gospels. The word for fainted that describes the multitude here means that they they were tired and troubled. And then we see the first of these images from the Old Testament that describe the desperate condition of Israel in exile. He says they were scattered or, or cast out or hurled out like sheep that have no shepherd, just milling about aimlessly without any direction, without any guidance, without any protection. He says they were scattered this way. Now, this imagery was actually used by the prophets, and it was used to describe the conditions of Israel in the exile. As you can see this used in places like Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse number 6. And Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 5 and, and verse 23 specifically, there, Israel was scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And their suffering was like sheep under false shepherds that devoured and scattered the flock. In other words, this imagery of, of them as, as scattered sheep, it generally, generally meant that Israel was aimless in, in terms of the word of God. And they were unprepared for their Messiah. And we've, we've seen that um, note that began back with the ministry of John the Baptist as he, as he came preaching repentance and um, the kingdom of heaven at, is at hand and, and these things. He was, pre- was preparing them for the kingdom and for the Messiah for which they were woefully unprepared. Now this imagery is also used, them as a scattered flock of sheep. That depicts their judgment in exile. But the imagery is also used to describe the true shepherd that God would send who would gather up all of the sheep of his flock and he would keep them. So it's an image of their exile as well as of their future restoration. Now this is just one of the images that's used in the Old Testament that refers to this. Um, and it's only one of the images from the Old Testament used in this passage. Actually, we have three, two that are explicit, one that's, that's a little more um, indirect and Im- implicit, but still yet there. But, but think about where these images come from. Why would it be that the prophet is describing Israel in exile as scattered sheep? Well, this imagery actually comes and is used to graphically describe what is an explicit prophecy all the way back in the books of Moses. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 and 4, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee 
and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. So this is, this is the prophecy of Moses. They're on the, he's on the plains of Moab with the second generation of Israel. They haven't even entered into the promised land yet. And he is going over and rehearsing God's covenant with them. And as you look toward the end of, of Leviticus and you look toward the end of Deuteronomy, Moses gives these prophecies that they're going to go in the land and they're going to promise to keep God's covenant, but they're not going to do it. They're going to break it. And God is going to send all of these judgments upon them that he has promised to judge them. And he's going to scatter them off of that land and they're going to be scattered among all the nations of the earth. But there's going to come a time, Moses prophesied, when, when God will, will turn toward them and they will turn toward him and they're going to repent and they're going to be gathered and restored to their land. This is what Moses is prophesying. So that prophecy is what we get these graphic images used to describe. Israel, you're going to be like scattered sheep with no true shepherd, but God's going to send the true shepherd of David, and he's going to gather that flock. So this is the, this is the reality, you might say, where these prophetic images correspond to. And as we find out later in the ministry of Jesus, his compassion toward them was also driven by his sorrow for their condition and their rejection of him as Messiah, as we later even find him weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now the next two verses here, verse 37 and verse 38, set up this mission that follows as Jesus starts giving these commands to his apostles. And this verse right here begins to emphasize the urgency that runs through this passage and the mission of the apostles. A large harvest, and that's what he's describing here, an abundant, a large harvest is ready. But there are too few workers, he says, and he's emphasizing the urgency of the harvest work. So when a field of crops ripens to harvest, There is a short time. There's a limited amount of time to bring in that harvest before that harvest is lost. And that is the urgency that's underlying this imagery that Jesus is using, comparing Israel to a field ready to harvest. Notice that Jesus spoke these words, it says in verse 37, unto his disciples. And these disciples are, in just a couple of verses, going to be identified as the twelve. And we're even going to get all of their names. He said to them, he said to his disciples, that right at that moment, the field was ready for harvest. But there were too few workers. The field of Israel was ready because at that moment, the Messiah, the King, was there. He had come to them, just as had been prophesied for so many centuries by so many prophets that had come before. He offered the kingdom to Israel if they would receive him. Now the imagery switches here. In the previous verse, it was sheep. And here he's using an imagery of a harvest. And this is also another image that is used of the same reality, the scattering and the gathering of Israel 
by the Old Testament prophets. So one, one example would be Isaiah 27, 12, that uses this harvest imagery and the threshing of grain and the picking of each individual grain to depict the regathering of a scattered Israel. Verse 38, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So he instructed his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field. And this is exactly what he was getting ready to do as we come into chapter number 10. He's going to send those laborers into that field. They were going to go into the field of Israel to work the harvest by announcing the good news of the kingdom. So now as we look at verses 1 to 4 here in chapter 10, we see the 12 men that Jesus called and sent to this work. Verse 1, And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So these verses, as we look at these first four verses here, these verses identify the disciples of Jesus that are, that are referred to in four specific ways. Matthew gives us their number. Their number was 12. He describes them with two terms. They were disciples and they were also apostles. And then furthermore, he gives us a list of their names. So, Matthew explicitly identifies when he had called unto him his 12 disciples. He refers to them by their number, 12. And he, he uses it four times in this passage, uh, in chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 5, and then in chapter 11 and, and verse 1. And that, all of that is a big, large section where Jesus is talking specifically to these 12 disciples. And he uses that number 12 four times. Now, he goes on in his gospel after this to refer to them by this number 12 four more times in chapter 19 and verse 28, chapter 20 and verse 17, chapter 26, verses 14 and 47. Now, chapter 19 and verse 28 specifically connects the number of the disciples with the number of the tribes of Israel, 12 and 12. So the number 12 obviously has that special significance for their calling in regard to the nation of Israel. And we'll probably see a little more about that as we proceed. The next way that he described them was as disciples. And that word really means learners, but it had, um, it had a more specific usage, particularly um, in Israel in that day. It was a word that was used to describe the disciples of the rabbis. And the disciples were, of, of these rabbis were more like apprentices to the rabbis. In other words, they would follow them around. In many cases, they would live with them. Um, they would listen to their teaching. They'd be instructed by them. And, and they would also, they were to pattern their lives after the lives of the rabbis. And that, of course, uh, gave rise to the different um, rabbinical schools and some of the debates and conflict, and you had the disciples of this one rabbi and disciples of that rabbi that were often in conflict. Well, that's what this, that's what this word disciple was, was used to describe in first century Israel, and that is essentially the case here with these disciples. They are, 
disciples that Jesus had chosen to be with him. Now, Matthew has only given us the example of five of them being called prior to, prior to this point, but all of them have been called. There are 12 of them, as we're told, numerous times. So they were called to be with Jesus. In fact, in, in, in some cases, he, he told them um, essentially to, to drop what you're doing and to get up and to follow me now. And they were to stay with him and follow him and be with him all the time during his ministry. So they were to be with him literally. They were, they were to learn from him. He, w- he would teach them as he would go. And they were to be equipped to be his special eyewitnesses of what he said, of what he did, including his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and, and, and also to teach others everything that he taught and commanded. Now this gives us some insight here into why Jesus would sometimes tell people that had been healed that they weren't to tell anybody about it. And one of those reasons why is because they were not called and equipped for that work. And Jesus is now getting ready to send his apostles into the field of Israel for a very specific mission that they have been prepared for and they've been given the authority to do. Now Matthew also notes here that he gave them power or authority. He gave them power to work these kingdom signs um, uh, over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And, And these signs served to authenticate their message and authenticated their identity as messengers of the Messiah to Israel. Verse number two. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So Matthew begins here to give us a list of the 12 names. And there are a few places um, in, in the Bible where we have a, a, a full list of these 12 names. And there's a couple of commonalities that you find if you look at, at all of those sort of places of those lists. Um, I believe that Peter is always listed first. And Judas Iscariot is always listed last. And other than that, there's a little bit of difference sometimes in the order of, of the list, but that seems to, to hold um, common among them. Now, some of these in this list, we really don't know uh, very little about them beyond just the names that are given. But notice here that Matthew calls them in verse 2 the 12 apostles. Now, the word for apostle. It means a delegate or a messenger, one that is sent. And the word for apostle wasn't always used in an official capacity, but it was a very strong term. In other words, it applied uh, or implied that the one who was sent was a representative of the one that had sent them. It, It was, in a sense, it was just as if that one was there speaking and acting. There, there, the, um, the apostle was one that was, you could say, authorized to speak and act on behalf of another. Now, sometimes the word is used in the New Testament informally just to describe um, you know, a messenger, one, one that had, had been sent. Um, but oftentimes, and probably most of the time, 
It's describing an office. It's describing an official capacity of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. And that they were, that they were sent by Jesus alludes actually back to their original calling. And we think back to the calling of the disciples. Um, they were told that they would be made fishers of men. That's back in chapter 4 and verse number 19. Which them being made fishers of men further identifies their particular mission to Israel and, and the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 to 21, where we have another image that is used to speak of Israel's regathering. And that is when God says that I will call and send fishers to fish for you and to regather you, and you can read um, that passage. Now, Matthew, we're told, was a tax collector, and so he was, you might say, somewhat at least sympathetic with Rome. And then we get, when we get down to the end, uh, see verse 3, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, uh, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Um, the word Canaanite there, um, comes from actually from an Aramaic term. Uh, essentially, it means the zealot, um, or, or sometimes I think you, you might see Simon Zelotus, um, the zealot, and, and it describes actually um, an affiliation. Um, the, the zealots were essentially um, a political party. They, they were um, resistant to the Roman Empire, and they advocated and instigated um, violent uprisings seeking to overthrow um, the Roman Empire. And so it's just, it's just interesting to see um, that the, the spread um, of people that you have that were called as the disciples of Jesus Christ. So now we get to verse 5, where Jesus begins commanding his apostles how they're going to go from city to city in Israel. Verse number 5, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into any uh, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Now the word for command that is used here, it is a very strong word meaning to give orders um, with the expectation of being obeyed. Uh, it's only used here in Matthew and it's only used of Jesus in any of the gospel accounts. Jesus sent them out and he commanded them not to go to the nations or to the Samaritans. Now, the word that you um, see there for Gentiles is, is uh, the Greek word ethnon, um, and it actually it means nations. It's equivalent to the Hebrew word goyim that is used in the Old Testament that refers to, um, to the nations. Sometimes it's translated heathen, sometimes it's translated Gentile, sometimes it's translated um, nations. Uh, but that word refers, except for a very few specific instances, and there are specific reasons for it, there's a very few specific instances this word is always used to refer to non-Israelite nations. That's, that's how the term is used, and that is the way that it is used here, because you can see that it's contrasted in the next verse with the house of Israel. Don't go to any of these nations. Go to the house of Israel. Israel. And Jesus is very clear about that in verse number six, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Of course, the um, Samaritans that were mentioned were not fully Jews. They were essentially 
um, looked upon as, as half-breeds, sort of not fully Gentile, not fully Jew, um, but somewhere in the middle, and they were uh, obviously despised by the Jews. But Jesus is clear as he, as he speaks to them, go only to Israel on this mission. Only to Israel. And the next two verses, as we continue on, help us understand why this is. And that certainly is an important question. The mission and message that the disciples had was to Israel. And it was to Israel at that very precise, short amount of time. Remember, Jesus said they, they are a field of a large harvest that is ready. There was a short amount of time because the Messiah was there and the kingdom was truly offered. Now, the coming of the kingdom, though, and again, we're thinking about why that Jesus would say, go only to Israel. Do not go to the nations. Do not go to the, to the Samaritans. Well, the coming of the kingdom in the Old Testament is prophesied to be contingent upon the repentance of Israel and their reception of the Messiah. In other words, Jesus' messianic kingdom will not be on this earth until Israel has repented and received their Messiah. And we can see places like Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 to 45. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12 to 18. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Just a few samples of, of, of where these prophecies are given. So the coming of the messianic kingdom of Jesus Christ is not contingent on the repentance of the nations. That's not to say that it has nothing to do with the nations of the earth. It certainly does. But it is contingent upon the repentance of Israel and their embracing of the Messiah, which is prophesied to come in connection with that day of the Lord that we heard about in Sunday school this morning. It is not contingent on the repentance of the nations, but it certainly does mean blessings to the nations. And Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 show us that as well. Verse number 7, Jesus continues, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they were to go to Israel, and they were to proclaim the same message that John preached, John chapter 3 and verse 1, the same message that Jesus was preaching in all of the cities, chapter 4, verses 17 and 23, and here in chapter 9 and verse 35 in that summary. Verse 8 says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. They were also to work the signs of the kingdom. And these signs signified that their message was authentic, that their message was true. It, it was a message from God. And also that they themselves were apostles of the Messiah. They had been sent on this mission. And this mission, again, when you read this passage, you, you get the sense of urgency that is stressed in this passage. It was urgent. It was for a short time. They were to go from city to city. They were to freely proclaim and to freely show signs. In other words, they were not going to go set up shop, as it were, somewhere. 
They weren't to go and and build up some organization or some ministry in, in some city where things seemed to go particularly well. That was not their mission. They were to go from place to place, speaking only to those of Israel, telling them that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And, of course, why that was the case. The point of this mission that Jesus sent them on was to cover the land of Israel. Jesus said it's a field of a large harvest that's ready, but there's too few laborers. In other words, this this work is going to have to be done urgently. They shouldn't be hindered by money and by money-making. They weren't going about from city to city to ply their trades. They they weren't even um, to be hampered by carrying extra provisions. Look at at verse 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses. Verse 10 says, Nor strip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. So Jesus is, is commanding them to be able to go urgently. If you remember Um, All the way back in Exodus chapter 12, as Moses was instructing the people and preparing them for the Passover, they were were instructed that they were to eat this with their shoes on their feet and their staff in their hand. In other words, they were to be ready to go. And it's similar to what Jesus is is saying here. You don't want to be burdened by carrying around a bunch of supplies and and things with you or um, ways of of making money, you know, to meet your necessities or or whatever. You just go with what you have. You just go with what you have. Fulfill this commission in faith. He says, don't worry, the the workman is is worthy of his reward. In other words, Jesus is implying to them, you're going to be provided for along the way, but you don't need to spend any time worried about these basic necessities of life. You need to spend all of your time going from place to place throughout Israel and giving them this message. Now, verse 11, he says, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire in in it, or who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. So again, they, they weren't to waste time in a city looking about for a, a place to stay or looking about for the, for the best place to stay. Um, they, weren't, they weren't to waste time on these things. The worthy house was one that received the message of the Messiah. And then we see in verse 12, he said, when you come into a house, salute it. And if the, in verse 13, if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. So they were to speak peace to um, to that house. If, if they received the message of, of the Messiah, then that peace would abide on that house. If they did not, then, then their peace would return to them and they would depart. And in fact, in verse 14, he says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. And of course, shaking off the dust of the feet was, uh, it was a warning. It was a sign of coming judgment. It, it was a sign that essentially said, this city of Israel is, is like a city of the nations. It, it's, it's like a city of the unbelievers. It's like a city um, of the pagans. And so they were ripe for judgment. And then verse 15, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city, that city that did not receive their message. 
those cities of Israel that rejected the Messiah when he came to them were told that their judgment would be more severe than even the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus spoke of the day of judgment and their having to give an account. So, when we think about this passage, we see, we see the beginning here as Jesus is commanding um, his apostles concerning this message that they are to take to Israel. We realize that this, this situation is particularly urgent for Israel at this time. The promised Messiah had come. The kingdom that they professed to long for was nearby. The offer wouldn't be extended for long, and once they rejected him, their judgment would come. So this work was then obviously restricted to Israel. There was a short time for this to take place, and they needed to go throughout Israel and cover um, Israel with this message. Now, one of the challenges that we face as we read and study, study the Bible, and we always want to know, you know, well, well what, is, you know, what does this mean for, for me today? And, you know, is this commanding me to do something? Is it instructing me? Um, what is it, what is it, how does it apply to us today? And, and it should be obvious as we read this passage that, it, that it's not directly applicable to us. In, in other words, we're not apostles. And the conditions that then existed and made that mission urgent do not exist today. Jesus is not here on the earth today offering the kingdom to the nation of Israel. So in other words, we can't just, just take this passage and then just directly say, well, you know, this is, we apply this to pastoral ministry in churches today um, or missionary work to plant churches uh, among the nations today. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a calling, that we don't have a message to take into all the world today. We do. We do have. And, and there are certainly things that we can learn and we can glean And there may be some similarities as we go on reading in the New Testament and we read in in the epistles and different instructions given um, to the churches and as we we understand the work that we have to do in in this age. There are certainly some things that we can glean. And for that matter, we could also find some similarity to uh, the ministries of the prophets that had come long before, even though, again, conditions were not exactly the same. But again, we do have a message. And our message is that Jesus Christ came into the world. That he took on a human body. That he was God in the flesh, walked upon this earth. That he lived a perfectly sinless life. And that he died upon the cross in the place of sinners, bearing sins and the judgment and the wrath of God due to those sins that everyone, Jew or Gentile, whoever believes in him may have everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, and live with him in his kingdom when he returns. Now, he's not here on the earth today bodily. He has left us Um, his spirit during this time but he is coming back so we do have a message and we do have a mission and there is a a sense of urgency we don't know how long and as we look out 
on the events in the, in the world around us today, it seems like time's getting shorter all the time. But no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus told us that very plainly. We don't know when he's, when he's going to return. But we do know what the Bible tells us is going to happen in those days. And we do have a message um, and a mission. And we do have some urgency to take that to those um, in, in, in our neighborhood and in our community as, as well as to the farthest most places on the earth.